Uh, please be seated. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, please keep your Bible open at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Uh, and if you have a bulletin in the middle, there's an outline uh, for you to follow the talk. Uh, let us pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we uh, pray that Father, you will help us to be attentive to your words. Help me, Father, to preach clearly and faithfully, and uh, we may know you as uh, our master. Uh, we pray this, Father, in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Um, there's, a, there's a reality TV show in UK called The Undercover Boss. Right? In each episode of this reality show, uh, the owner of a C- or a CEO of a company will go undercover as an entry-level employee. Uh, how many of you have watched this uh, show, Undercover Boss? You can just maybe, anyone? Yep, there's quite a few, yep, so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so there's this one episode uh, where the owner of a waste management company, right, owner of a waste management company, went undercover as one of the workers who actually sort out the garbage. Uh, the purpose was for the owner to find out how things were like at the lower level of his company, uh, how the workers were feeling about what their work is. And I like to watch this show because it was very interesting uh, to see how these workers relate to the boss, not knowing that he was the boss, treating him like a new colleague of them, telling them what works and what doesn't work in this company. And it was funny sometimes to see how they even uh, curse the boss in front of this new employee, cursing the boss himself. Uh, it's quite interesting to see, uh, to see that reaction, in- interaction, uh, when they do not know that he was indeed the boss. Uh, why do I mention this? Uh, I think because this reality show, Undercover Boss, kind of is similar to our situation here uh, in this parable that we read, just read. Uh, as I will help us understand the parable more later, I will see that uh, in this parable, Jesus is telling them that he is indeed the boss over them, has authority over those whom he speaks to. However, those who listen to him has no idea at all that he was indeed in charge. They treated Jesus just like one of them, or maybe worse. And the reason for their failure to see Jesus' authority is not because Jesus was hiding his identity like the undercover boss, but it was quite the opposite. Instead, Jesus makes it quite clear as he speaks to them that he is the boss, he has authority. Yet somehow they, they failed to see it or they refused to acknowledge it. And so let us go to the parable uh, to see how this unfolds. Uh, let's, let me just give you a setting of the parable. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the parable to those whom he has been speaking to since chapter 11. But the them that he's speaking to in verse 1 is the same people that he was talking to that we see last week. Last week we read that the religious leaders, namely the chief priests, the scribes and the elders, they were questioning the authority of Jesus when he clears a temple. They want to know what kind of authority that Jesus has in clearing it. And in response, Jesus asked them a question about John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus did that in order that the religious leaders might acknowledge that the authority that Jesus has is in fact the same authority as John the Baptist. However, as we see last week, they refused to answer Jesus' questions that he asked to them because they do not want to be confronted with a proper examination of his authority. So we saw before that they wanted to challenge Jesus on one hand. But on the other hand, they are not willing to seriously consider that this person that they challenge is truly the one who has authority. 
And so this week, the same issue continues. Jesus, seeing that they want to avoid it, he went on the offense. He speaks to them this parable, making it very clear who he is, that he is indeed the one who has authority. And so the first verse begins with a description of a man who, who totally owns a vineyard, isn't it? We see a man here, he planted the vineyard, uh, he put a fence around it, he dug a pit for the wine press, and he built a watchtower in it. And having done all those things, he then leased it out to the tenants to look after it. Uh, in the first century Palestine, when the first group of hearers actually read this, uh, they'll be very familiar with this setting uh, because there was common practice during that time. Uh, as rich landowners would lease out their lands, their vineyards, to those who could not afford it, to work on it so they can earn a living. And the practice was that usually uh, the owner would allow the tenants to work on the ground for four years, and everything in the first four years, all the fruits will go to the, to the tenants because it, it takes time to cultivate the crops and make them grow. And from the fifth year onwards, only then the owner will come and require some return from his capital investment. And his return will be in the form of some portion of the fruit. And we see that, isn't it, in, in verse 2, the season came, the time came, and the owner sent his servant to collect. And the tenants were obligated, they were legally obligated uh, to give what the owners were supposed to get from his return. It was only right for them to give what the, what the owner deserves. Uh, of course, uh, nowadays, we don't, we don't really see this kind of uh, leasing agreement of farms uh, in, C- in KL, in where in city. In fact, we hardly see any farm, isn't it, in where we live, uh, in Klang Valley. Uh, the only fresh ve- veggies we see are not in the farm, but, you know, but in the supermarket. And young children nowadays who live in city, they have no idea maybe how real chicken looks like. Right? They might thought that chicken are really like those who have no feather and, and white color in the, uh, in the supermarket. It's quite scary, isn't it, if, if chicken are like walking around. And back during my university, day, university days, I know a Singaporean friend, uh, being, a, being a girl who lived in Singapore who hardly cooked, she couldn't even tell the difference between a garlic and an onion in a supermarket. She has no idea how they look like. That's how bad we are, isn't it, as city folks. Uh, but even though we're not familiar with farming or with kind of leasing agreement, but as, you read, as you're reading this parable, you have no problem, isn't it? You have no problem understanding the situation, right? You have no problem understanding what is the relationship, isn't it, between the owner and the tenants. And you realize what is happening when the tenants refuse to give what the owner uh, deserve. So we do know, isn't it, we have no problem understanding the surface meaning of the parable. But we may wonder what is Jesus really getting at, right? So what are we supposed to learn from this parable? Uh, one thing I want you to know for sure uh, is that Jesus is not giving us advice on how to manage our properties. You see, when Jesus mentions about the owner of the vineyard, he is really speaking about God who owns the whole world. Uh, the owner of the vineyard is the God who owns the whole world. If you are attuned to the Old Testament scriptures, we will not miss a connection, isn't it? Remember our Old Testament reading in Isaiah chapter 5? What do we read? We see that God, isn't it? God planted a vineyard with choice vines. And in the same chapter, God built a watchtower, isn't it? Uh, in the vineyard. And you see the similarity? 
So we see that God is the one who owns the vineyard. And in chapter 5 of Isaiah, we see that the vineyard is a symbol for the people of Israelites. The, the Israelites belong to God and they were to produce fruits uh, for God who is their owner. And the fruits that we see in Isaiah that God demanded from his people were justice and righteousness. So let me read out for you just one single verse in Isaiah 5, 5 verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Therefore, what should we learn from this parable? First and foremost, we should learn that God is the creator of this universe. And that you see, the parable tells us, isn't it, that the owner totally owns the vineyard. Right? Everything in the vineyard is supplied by him. And so, in the same way, the Bible makes it quite clear to us that God owns everything in this world. He does not only own Israel or the Israelites, but he is a creator of all human beings in this universe. And God tells us that his purpose for all of us is to live a life of righteousness and justice. Uh, this is a demand that he asks of us as our owner and creator. This is the first thing about the parable. And now we turn our attention to the tenants of the vineyard. So we've seen before from Isaiah 5 that, that the vineyard itself, the vineyard itself are the Israelites. If that is so, who are the tenants of the vineyard? Right? The tenants are then those, are those who look after the Israelites. Right? In this case, they are the religious leaders of Israel who have the task of leading God's people since the Old Testament times. Therefore, we see here that the tenants that Jesus is speaking about in this parable is exactly those religious leaders whom sought to challenge his authority, whom he's speaking to right now. And so we see that in the parable, the tenants reject those who are sent by the owner time and time again. Right, we see that the first servant came sent by the owner. They took the servant and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. The second servant was sent by the owner. They struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And just as it's in the parable, this was indeed what happened in history with the religious leaders of Israel, how they were treating those whom God has sent to them. We learn this from the Old Testament pages. We see like prophets like Elijah and Jeremiah. They were rejected and prosecuted by the leaders of Israel. Uh, we see that God sent these prophets back then to bring Israel back to the path of justice and righteousness. But the leaders refused to accept their words. They resisted the claim of God on how they should live. Instead, they led the people of Israel away further and further from the path of righteousness and justice. As we continue to read the parable, uh, we see that the owner sent a third servant and this servant was killed by the tenants. We were told that even after the third servant was killed, the owner sent more servants to the tenants. Some were being killed, some were being beaten. Well, at this point of, of the parable, you may think that it may sound a bit irrational, isn't it? Uh, which owner will try to send another servant after one has been killed? Uh, imagine you own a house, right? Imagine you own a house and you rented it to some college students. And one day you send your property agent to go and collect uh, the rent from these students. 
and the students end up killing your property agent. Uh, which one of you in the right mind will actually send another agent to collect the rent? You wouldn't, isn't it? You'll make a police report straight away. Well, the parable is told in this way because at this point, Jesus is kind of stretching the boundaries of the parable to describe what really did happen in the history of Israel. Which is that indeed, not just one, in fact, many prophets in the Old Testament were rejected, persecuted, and killed by the leaders of Israel. Uh, we read in the, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah that uh, in the Old Testament, the king of Judah sought to kill a prophet named Uriah because Uriah brought words from God against the city. And in the book of Second Chronicles, we see that the prophet Zechariah was actually stoned to death under the command of King Joash. Uh, all these references of the Bible are in a bulletin. If you want to check out more for yourself and read at home. You see, when we read this parable and when we see the actions of the wicked tenants, we feel outraged, isn't it? We feel outraged by their evil actions. Uh, if this is happening in KL at the moment, right now, it will really make headlines, isn't it? In your Twitter, in your Facebook, across all the newspaper. And so it should, isn't it? It should make us feel outraged. And what does it show? It just shows to serve, serve to show how outrageous was the action of the leaders of Israel in history when they sought to resist the prophet sent by God. See, they will kill the prophets just because they could not bear the message brought from God. They were not willing for the prophets to correct their existing sin, and therefore they committed more wickedness as they resisted the rebuke from God. You see, the actions of the leaders of Israel just demonstrated to us how much evil and wickedness can come from human beings as humans rebel against the justice and righteousness of God. Uh, as we continue to read the parable, we find yet another element that is even harder to comprehend. Uh, with this, we move from the servants to the son of the owner. You see, even after the wicked tenants killed quite a few servants sent by the owner, the owner then thought about sending his own son to the tenants, thinking that they might actually respect his authority if he sent his beloved son. Well, at this point, you may think that, well, isn't the owner taking quite a high risk with, by doing this? It is quite unlikely, isn't it, that the wicked tenants will change the way they act, having killed so many servants. And isn't, isn't the owner a bit reckless in trying to risk the life of his own son? Well, again, as I said, the point of the parable is not to show us the, the, the way to avoid when we collect rent or what's the best way to collect rent. But instead, it's trying to show us the gracious character and patience of God against those who wickedly rebel against him. We see here in the parable, the owner was being extremely patient, isn't it? Extremely patient with the tenants by sending his own son. As he seeks to make a last attempt to appeal to them, to willingly recognize his authority. By doing this, God is giving them a last chance before he exercises his authority and destroys them completely. And before this, we already seen isn't it, how the owner was being patient with them by, seeing, by sending servants to them time and time again, even though they kept rejecting it. And just as the owner of the vineyard was being gracious and patient in the parable, 
This is exactly what God did in history, in the history when he was treating the people of Israel. God sent prophets to Israel to call them to repentance time and time again, even though the people rejected the prophets many, many times. And the sending of God's own son demonstrated further his concern and patience for the people, that they will walk in righteousness rather than being destroyed by him completely. I see God's patience here is so great as compared to sometimes our human's impatience, our often lack of patience with smaller things. Uh, I have two young sons uh, at home. Uh, one, is one, one is two and one is two and a half. You see, my two sons, they never fail to taste my patience every single day. Recently, my older son, he's about three and a half, he started to learn this, for, in my opinion, very annoying whining whenever he get upset or whenever he couldn't get his way. When he snatched his brother's toy and the brother take it back, he'll whine and whine and whine. And sometimes the, the whining just, just get to me and I just couldn't bear it. And I just blew my top and I shout at him so loud to show my anger that I really couldn't stand it. And usually it will make him cry even more and whine even more. See, when I look at my own impatience with my son's kind of small rebellion, his naughtiness, and I look at how God was being so patient and gracious with those who wickedly rebel him, it just makes me more aware of how amazing God's patience and graciousness. Uh, with the appearing of the son of the owner, uh, the parable has reached a climax. It's really a climax for both the speaker and the hearer. You see, in, in, in at this point of the parable, Jesus is, saying, Jesus is saying that the beloved son they sent by the owner is his final authority against those who wickedly rebelled against him. And we wonder who is this beloved son in their real-life counterpart. This beloved son is none other than Jesus himself who speaks a parable. The Gospel of Mark has been showing the reader that Jesus is indeed the beloved son of God. Uh, we see that back in chapter 1 when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and a voice came from heaven telling Jesus, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Therefore, what is Jesus saying here to the religious leaders? He's saying to them that he is a final authority from God, the one whom they seek to challenge, they oppose. He makes it clear to them that when these leaders oppose him, they are rejecting God personally. They are rejecting the authority of God. Not only is Jesus establishing his authority over them, he's also pronouncing a judgment over them. You see here the parable in the parable, it says that the, the owner of the vineyard will destroy them completely for rejecting the son. And so in the same way, Jesus is saying that if they keep opposing him and reject him, God will destroy them completely, just like the wicked tenants. And not only is Jesus pronouncing judgment and slapping his authority, he's also at the same time giving a prophecy with this parable. You see, we read in the parable that the wicked tenants did end up, isn't it, killing the son. And so Jesus is prophesying his own death on the cross at a later point of time when these same religious leaders will send Jesus to Pontius Pilate to be crucified on the cross. 
Not only is he prophesying his own death, he's also prophesying a great turnaround victory for himself after the death. And this we turn to verse 10. In verse 10, he says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Uh, the stone here is referring to the son that was killed by the tenants. And the cornerstone referred to an important structure in the building. And so Jesus is saying that the son who, will be, who is killed will in the end be exalted and glorified like the cornerstone of a building. And what is Jesus prophesying about? He is prophesying to the event of his own resurrection after his death on the cross. And we see that, isn't it, in our episode reading in Acts chapter 4. Uh, we see that the Peter, the apostles, uh, was telling about the resurrection of Jesus that made him the name above every name. And what Old Testament verse did he quote when he talked about Jesus' resurrection? This same verse, isn't it? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so we see that the resurrection of Jesus further demonstrated that he is indeed the Son of God who has authority. He has authority over all things, even over death and life. Uh, we have seen now uh, the entire parable. Uh, when we have seen how he, what it means to us, how he speaks about God who is a creator of this universe, how he speaks about those who wickedly rebel against God, and how he tells us about the final authority of Jesus as God's son. Uh, this all have important implications for us uh, who lives in God's world. Uh, this parable should at least prompt us to respond rightly to Jesus. But, but look at how the religious leaders respond to this parable in verse 11 to verse 12. We see in these two verses that they knew. They knew that the wicked tenants was referring to them. They knew that Jesus speaks this parable against them. And they knew that Jesus was alluding to his authority as God's son. But instead of fearing Jesus or even respecting him, they still seek to arrest Jesus, arrest Jesus and find a way to destroy him. And at that moment, they did not arrest Jesus, not because they fear Jesus, but because they fear the people. They were worrying about their reputation in front of the people. It is shocking, isn't it? It's shocking how unwise, how foolish were the leaders in their response towards Jesus. And it's precisely the aim of Mark in writing the gospel this way, so that we may not also be foolish like them in treating Jesus this way. However, as we think about it more and more, we may actually realize that it's very easy for us just to become exactly like, like, the, like the religious leaders. In fact, the kind of response that they have toward Jesus is very common nowadays in our society. It can be seen everywhere. You see, the religious leaders, they fail to respond rightly to Jesus simply because they do not believe Jesus as a final authority from God. They simply do not believe Jesus despite what he said and what he did. And so likewise today, it is very easy for any of us to simply ignore Jesus or brush aside the claims that he made about himself. But Jesus makes it clear that if we do that, it is to our own disadvantage, it is to our own peril. It is to our own peril. Because he has left plenty of evidences and proofs that he is indeed the Son of God. If we continue to reject him or brush him aside, then we are in the same position as those wicked tenants 
who defiantly reject God. Well, you may think that you have not sought to kill Jesus, or you may not have sought to kill any of his disciples, or you may not have thought of preventing people from following Jesus. But what I want to say is that if you simply ignore Jesus, then you are likewise rejecting God's authority. The truth is that if we live our lives without reference to Jesus, then we are denying the authority of God over us as our creator. It makes us the same as the tenants who refuse the owner's claim on the vineyard. See, if we do not allow Jesus to inform us how we should live, then it's the same way we ask, we're asking God to get lost from our vineyard, get lost from the vineyard that actually belongs to him. Uh, let's go back uh, to my illustration with the undercover boss, right? Imagine you are the employee. You imagine you're the employee who encountered the undercover boss. How embarrassing, isn't it? How embarrassing or how awful if you do not realize that the new colleague that came in this week next to your table was actually the owner of your company. And imagine if you actually treat this, this boss with contempt, giving him hard jobs or asking him to buy coffee for you. It'd be quite a disaster, isn't it? However, the case with you not recognizing, not, recognizing, not recognizing Jesus is much worse than that. If you do not recognize Jesus, you'll be like an employee who simply ignores the man who sits in the biggest room in the office. Us ignoring Jesus is like us simply, like an employee who simply do not care about the person who has control over the rest of the employees. Why? Because the fact is that Jesus came into the history of mankind as boss of the world. And he didn't go undercover. He makes it quite clear that he's the boss. If we do not know his true identity, it's not because we cannot know it. It's because we simply do not bother to find out. Simply did not bother to check it out. We wouldn't dare, isn't it, to imagine how terrible it is for us to ignore our, the owner of a company where we work. But I'll tell you what, it'd be much more dreadful if we do that to Jesus. But for many of us, many of us here, uh, we do recognize who Jesus is, isn't it? And we want to submit to his authority. And we thank God for that because we are changed by the grace shown to us uh, through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so for us today who seek to submit to the authority, uh, we should be reminded that God is the owner of the vineyard. And we are the vineyard who are supposed to bear fruits for him. And we see before that the fruits we are to bear are righteousness and justice. And further in New Testament in the book of Galatians, we are taught that the fruits we are, we are meant to bear for, for God, the fruits that God calls us to have through the Holy Spirit, what are the fruits? The fruits are love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Therefore, if we seek to submit to God, we must work on bearing these fruits in our lives. You see, we may be open. We may be open. We may not, we're not, we may not be like the religious, uh, wicked tenants. We may be open to God to come to our vineyard and take fruits from it, recognizing his authority. But if there are no fruits at all in our vineyard, it's not good enough, isn't it? Or if the fruits we have in our vineyard are all rotten, eaten by worms or tupai. You see, we, we cannot just let our submission to God's authority remain as a statement in our mouth or the head knowledge. 
we must seek to live it out in our lives. And so we must seek to work on these fruits that were given to us in the Bible from God. And so let us think about each one of them again, the fruits that was given here. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, justice, and righteousness. And see which areas we are not yet bearing fruit for God. Uh, we can ask, in doing that, in trying to do that, we can ask those who are around us uh, to tell us our shortcomings. Often it's those who are around us who know better than us, isn't it, about our weaknesses, as I often learn from my wife. And as I say in my case, I need to learn, isn't it, as I submit to God's authority, I need to learn on my patience towards my sons. And so finally, as those who submit to God's authority, let us be spurred on to bear good fruits for God. As we remember Him as our Creator, as our God, who is an owner, an owner that is patient to those who wickedly rebel Him. And He is a God who appealed to His people to be reconciled to Him time and time again. And we should know that we are all like that, isn't it? We all used to be like that. We all once refused God's claim over us as our Creator. And we should remember how God was patient towards us, sending His people to our lives, preaching His word to us, and appealing to us time and time again to willingly recognize His authority until we are changed by the cross. And so calling these things to mind, let us seek to live for God and bear fruits for Him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for sending your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who is the final authority from you. And you give us a last appeal, a last warning to tell us how we should respond and relate to you. Father, we pray that we will not be like those foolish, wicked tenants uh, who refuse to submit to your authority, who refuse to recognize who Jesus is. We thank you, Father, for changing us through your grace shown across in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you will continue to work in our lives through the Holy Spirit, that we may bear good fruits that are pleasing to your sight. We pray this in the Son, Jesus' name. Amen.